All right, we're back here. Mining Stock Daily reporting from London and the LME Week festivities uh, midweek here. And I'm happy to sit in the office of La Mancha Resource Capital and Managing Partner and Co-Chief Investment Officer, Mr. Kareem Nazar. Kareem, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, Trevor. Welcome to London. Welcome to La Mancha. I'm really glad to meet you and be on the podcast. Yes, it's. I'm looking forward to this conversation um, not very often do we get to sit down and, and talk to the head of investment funds that manage quite a bit of capital. Um, but for I think people will maybe most or less be familiar when they hear the name La Mancha. But uh, just for you know fundamental sakes, give us a kind of an introduction to the fund and how it started and, and really what your focus is. Sure, I'm going to start with how it started. So... Um the principal group that we work for, uh, which is the Soros family, uh, acquired La Mancha in 2000 and uh, closed the deal in 2012. Um, the group had been involved in telecoms mainly before that. I have been working with this group for 22 years now. Um, the idea was really to diversify into things other than the main business they had when we sold uh, and gold looked like a good diversification strategy but Naguib is an industrialist is not a financial investor and so when the opportunity of acquiring La Mancha which was then owned by Areva, uh, the French uranium company came about uh, he got excited about it because again it was built buying assets it was not buying physical gold it was not buying ETFs it was not just playing a currency or something like that, which he says doesn't interest him. Um, And um, when he did acquire it, he also stumbled upon a team that had really a plan and ideas about what to do with the assets. So we started off our life under that group, if you like, as as a mining company. Um, We had three assets, uh, very, very, very widespread jurisdictions, Australia, Sudan, Ivory Coast. Within three years, the first tenant of Y Naguib invested, which is gold was going to go up. Uh, you know, gold was at 1800 when we invested. By the time we uh, had spent three years, gold was 1100. <laughs> and I think the most valuable asset was the hedge that we put in place to finance the construction of uh, Frog's Leg. And that was probably the thing that had the most value in the book uh, yeah. of the company. But what happened is that we did actually create value or preserve value industrially. Um, Frog's leg was end of life, he bleached, very, very high cost in Australia. We, there was a plan that Areva had been sitting on for six years to go underground, build a CIL. Within six months under us, it was approved. And we, I guess the challenge was financing it. We did that. And uh, we started off the construction. Three years later, we had gone underground and the CIL was operational. Cost had been almost halved. Uh, we took we took advantage of the down cycle mm-hmm. to have cheap costs on construction, cheap costs on capex, cheap contractors, which is an interesting lesson. And then uh, in Ivory Coast, we developed the resource quite significantly, drilled it out, put a plan together. And Sudan was a bit of a complex one because we had a very large stake of the government with us. Um, and eventually, large VMS, again ending life, We had a plan to develop it, but the government could not fund the stake, and it was pre-sanctions, so we still didn't have all the problems that are associated with Sudan. But because the government could not fund its stake, we said, guys, do you want to buy it from us, or could you sell us your stake? 
eventually they chose to buy it from us and they paid us and mm -hmm. we exited Sudan. At that point we had two companies, one in Ivory Coast, the other one in uh, Australia, didn't make much sense. So we found a good partner in Australia, which was Evolution Mining. We contributed the uh, frogs egg asset and cash to Evolution. Uh, and then we did, within a few months, did the same thing with Ivory Coast and Endeavor Mining, which is a company specializing in West Africa. Long story short, we supported those companies with capital. In the case of Endeavor, we also injected management as needed. And eventually, you know, started off with a couple hundred million market cap for each of them. We exited uh, Evolution in 2020 when we sold the last bit of it. It was an eight billion market cap company. Yeah. Obviously, we had put more money into it uh, to help it acquire assets. The big drivers for us were uh, mainly being able to take asset, have a real view on exploration, real view on being able to change the production method, i.e. going heap-leach to CILs, for instance, uh, build, explore, find more, extend my life, extend my life, extend my life. And that's really what created value. Uh, we are still the largest shareholder in Endeavor uh, with about 18% stake. We've been continuing to support the company um, into its real transformation into the largest West African gold miner. Um, it's a company that's very profitable, very low ASICs, as Evolution was. Um, in 2020, end of 20, we had gone through a whole cycle of investing, divesting profitably, uh, sort out issues, like, you know, the whole shebang. Can yeah. we actually fix something that's not working? Can we sell what we bought? Uh, can we have influence in the companies? Uh, all the bits had been kind of proofed of concept, sort of. And then we sat with the founder, Nagib Sawiris, and we had a chat about how do we continue. And the idea was, okay, let's take the assets, put them in a fund. There are parties which are interested to give us capital. We went to them. We got capital from outside. Not much changed. Um, I think our governance is now more formal, obviously, but it's built on the same principles that we had before, investment committee, a lot of diligence, uh, still doing the same thing, taking mm -hmm. large stakes into junior companies, being the linchpin of a raise if people need money uh, in equity for a good project where they have, uh, we can work with other financiers, uh, such as royalty companies, the project financing banks, um, junior capital, but also other market partners. That's what we do. Uh, and so the fund has been launched in 2021, um, close to a billion dollars of uh, NAV and billion five of assets under management. It fluctuates. There right. are quarters which are better, quarters which <laughs> are less good, because we do invest in li liquid property or, or securities. But the reality is we're really on a long-term track. So what happens each quarter is a bit of a vagary for us. Right. Uh, we're not. We have patient, patient capital behind us. Um, so really what really matters to us, what's happening with the industrial story. Are we progressing against the thesis or not? Uh, what happens to the market? What's really important for us, stay resilient so we can actually support the companies when things are not going good, maybe invest when things are not going good. 
and take advantage of the top of cycles um, and have the companies ready like we had with Evolution to mm-hmm. be able to exit. So let me, I, 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 want, I want to break that down. There's a lot in there to kind of to pinpoint. I want to ask you more with the strategy in, um, you know, how you allocate your capital. Is the fund, you know, you, you did mention you take big positions. In fact, more than 20% in a lot of these positions, which obviously comes with a lot of governance and, you know, uh, and a lot more, uh, you know, paperwork, to be quite frank. But it also, you know, why is it important that in a lot of these, you don't have a whole lot of positions, but the positions you do have are very big. So why is it important that La Mancha continue to maintain something wrong, those 20 to 25% ownership? And what is the drawback of taking such a big ownership as well? So I'll start with that one. Taking big ownership comes with a lot of impediments in terms of buying and selling. Right. Uh, because you're deemed controller in Canada, you would have similar restrictions in the UK. You'd also have you know, significant restrictions to what you can do in the US as well. Uh, so eventually, it's not lighthearted. We don't go in with 25 uh, because we absolutely want 25. The reality is people will give us uh, a certain amount of rights in terms of boat seats and what have you, only if we do get those substantial positions. Mm-hmm. Our sweet spot really is 19.9, because right. then you get much less restrictions. However, if you're investing in a small company, you can't sell anyways. We're going to get to stand still with the company for two years where we can't exit, we can't increase, or maybe increase only up to a certain degree. So it allows us to be bigger in stories where we're going to look for follow-ons, for consolidation, for additional deals around a good team and so on, and then start getting diluted. And that's what we did with Evolution. That's what we did with Endeavor. That's hopefully what we'll start doing once we start snowballing the newer investments. So it's not a desire to be at 25 at all costs all the time. It's really a desire to start big enough so that when the next phase happens, we can still remain with a significant position long enough to see it through, okay. you know, in terms of what is the company doing and so on. The second question was, why so little positions? Uh, okay, we're, we're, we're a fairly large fund, mm-hmm. but large part of that's sitting into one position. So in reality, our, our available capital each year is not unlimited. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we're very selective. Uh, It doesn't mean we're always right, but it means that at least when we've invested, we're really convinced. If we're not really convinced, because we don't have so much money, we don't have pressure that we have to deploy, uh, we do what we're really convinced in, right or wrong. Well, you mentioned patient capital. Sometimes the most patient capital just sits in cash. Correct. Right. Right. And typically, but not always, we try to keep on average six months to a year ahead hmm. sometimes we're broke sometimes we have too much <laughs> don't tell him <laughs> no, but, but, but that's yeah. true yeah. you know i right. keep telling it if i hire somebody i tell them that mm-hmm. um but that's actually been some sort of blessing because you really have to work hard right. and that's the last bit which is we feel right or wrong that our added value goes beyond the capital we work for our companies but what we <laughs> whatever is is a little help that we can give will go an extra mile to do it. And that means time. And that's why we will not go uh, overboard in terms of um, 
number of positions because it means you're working. We're sitting on boards, but we also have monthly calls. We will, uh, if a company does not have enough resources to look at something, we'll take the lead on that one. Sometimes we're going to take the lead on doing something that the company cannot do as a toehold into something. Uh, sometimes it's stuff like talking to our banks about helping those companies, sometimes mm -hmm. talking to other investors on capital raises, sometimes basically introducing them to whoever they want to be introduced to. Uh, sometimes it's actually physical stuff where we're going to send an engineer, we're going to send a geologist to help with something. Uh, when um, the previous uh, chief geologist at Golden Star passed away, we basically shifted who was on the board from our side to put our chief geologist, so at least they had somebody senior that could help physically with the work at that point. Right, right. You know? So it means we have so much bandwidth. And, and that's also why we don't want to take too many positions and also why we don't try to go too early. Because for us, going too early means more work. So w tell me the sweet spots of, of entry and also exit here for La Mancha. And what's that art look like? Sweet spot of entry is you find something which is not at the top of the cycle where they need that kind of like 20%, 25% of capital that can make or break a project. Uh, companies of 200 to 500 million of market cap uh, post-raise. Uh, really good team mm -hmm. uh, project which has some upside potential but not always in the sense that sometimes you want to take something that's really solid and then you'll snowball it um, in terms of commodities and geographies I think we can talk about later um, but, but that's really our sweet spot where something is pre-construction you're looking for the financing or the FS stage, but typically we like to come in at the end, and, and we think that our niche is really that to find that equity ticket is really hard at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a number of funds that do credit, there's a number of banks for providers, there's the royalty companies. Who's the guy that does public equities for a 20, 25% check that will make your race work? It's not so many. There's a few, but there's not so many. And, and I think what we really work hard on is, is, is keeping the reputation that makes it people will call us. Yeah. What is the risk right now, given the, the current status of the development market and mining? There's not a ton of companies out there that are looking to finance construction, but I do know of some. And so I'm, I can guarantee myself that you've had conversations with those people. But, you know, what is the headway? Because you, you, you're in a you're in a down market. You, you We can say we're in a bear cycle right now. But for companies that need to finance for construction, not only are many of them really beaten up on their equity, you're talking about a massive dilution. You know, it's a double-edged sword here. You're talking about big dilution and costs and higher costs to get something over the line. I mean, talk about these, these, these headwinds in front of us right now, especially where you sit. Yeah, so the first one is I challenge a bit the bearishness of the market. Uh, it is a bear market compared to maybe a couple of years ago, but if you think about it, since COVID, you had a rally in gold, you had a rally in copper, mm -hmm. But the reality is prices today are actually not so much down compared to those moments, right? Copper no. is still into the high threes. Uh, gold is at 
1800 bucks, um, been hovering between 1800 bucks and 2000 a bit for what two years now. Yeah. Um, and, and equities have suffered, but they also haven't suffered to the same proportions at 2010, 2011, or the fall from 2010, 2011, 2012. Number one, because people probably learned from this cycle. Secondly, because balance sheets are less levered. Mm-hmm. So you had less of catastrophes where people can't you know, pay for their exploitation costs and because margins are still okay. Margins are on average two times higher than what it was during the last down cycle. So yes, it's a bear market, but I would say it's not necessarily like one of the big waves in the cycle, mm-hmm. right? Could that happen? Yes, it could. And I think today the reason why the market is wavering a lot is because it's the, the downside case could still happen. You know, and that, that goes back to the macro, really. Do we have a soft landing? Do we not have a soft landing? What's China doing? Is China demand for consumer goods, EV, uh, solar, and you know, mm-hmm. other manufactured goods going to keep the supply, uh, or sorry, going to keep the demand at the pace it was, despite the fact that the re- uh, real estate sector is collapsed? Th- that's a big uncertainty at the moment. We have a case for a continuing growth in demand, you have a case for a collapse in demand at some point or overstocking. So to a certain extent, I think the market doesn't really know where it is. But then there is another thing that's happening, Trevor. Rates are at 5%. Just somebody explains to me how the sacrosanct, I'm doing NPVs at 5 in gold or 8 in copper, in a bull cycle, still works when rates have gone from 0 to 5%. Does it work at the at it that doesn't discount work, rate? Right? Yeah, because it because everything is down. It's not just what we're doing that's down. It's everything. Global yeah. equities are down. Investors have a choice, and the sector has not been really renowned for creating a ton of alpha or um, a ton of additional value. So, when people are concerned about the macro, when people have a hard time financing their own portfolios, when investors want to be cautious. Yeah, the sector is going to suffer and valuations are going to come down, but it's normal. Yeah. People keep nagging, my valuation is too low, my valuation is too low. No, it's not. You know, investors have a choice. They can go and buy consumer goods, they can buy capital goods, they can buy real estate, they can buy mining. They have a choice. Yeah. Nobody needs today to take the pain of going to complex things, which... um, have ESG implications and doing it in a kind of cycle where you don't really know where commodities are going to go. Mm-hmm. What is appropriate uh, discount right now in those? What we look for, Yeah, we do it differently. Uh, okay. What we do is we'll keep using NPV5 and um, NPV8 or 10s even depending on the commo. But the reality is what we look for is equity on equity. I, I get into something at 0.5 PNAV because it's pre-construction or 0.4 PNAV pre-construction. I'd like to exit it at say 0.8 if it's a standalone asset uh, and in base metals and a country that's not too crazy. Uh, you know, I'll exit in five years. How much do I do as returns on equity? Answer on that, it's got to be in the 20 handle. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a production project, then I could go as low as 15-ish. But that's the kind of returns I look for. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I don't do it like the rest of the street. I don't look at project IRS. I don't care because if they do a project and then take the money and plug it into something else 
and I never see the cash or I can never exit, it's a real problem. So for us, it's really about, I get into an object today, what value enhancement do you do? What de-risking do you do? What object do you have at the end on a sensible business plan with the commodity being either at consensus or slightly down? And I've got to make 20% at least on that. Yeah. Well, I would assume you're kind of uh, chomping at the bit a little bit because there's a lot of opportunity to put capital to work in this current market we're sitting now. I mean, is I mean, gives a sense of where you do see the opportunity right now, where La Mancha is really kind of, you know, kind of <laughs> stoking the fire a little bit. So there, we're starting to see again reasonable pricing on copper on some projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, we started really looking at copper at sometimes in 22. We had established the fund, we had our first investment transition metals. Then we said, okay, copper. And then we struggled because you had a lot of people talking about needing capital, etc., etc. but the prices were still too high at the beginning of the year. Then you had the big collapse we're not ready yet. Then earlier in the year, prices came back higher. And then again, opportunities started becoming more complicated. Now we're starting to see more stuff at a more reasonable pricing where people are saying, okay, you know what, we've got to bite the bullet and do it. Because don't forget, when equities started going down, people were like, okay, where are we? Is it going to take a year, two years? What do we do with our projects? Now I think it's starting to sink in that people need to consider more expensive capital. Uh, But that also means that some projects are not going to go ahead because capital is becoming more expensive. And that's Mm -hmm. also going to reduce opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one. Lithium, we had a phase where uh, we got kind of like focused on one opportunity. Then prices went so much (laughs) high that those guys didn't need to do anything anymore. Mm And at that point, we saw a flurry of projects like restarts and every possible like brines, like uh, wells, like clays, etc., etc. We started seeing things across the board, uh, but also with valuations that were pretty high. Now we feel some of those projects are not going to go ahead. Um, valuations starting to become more realistic. So again, that's something that we're quite focused is really canvassing the whole sector and seeing what is there in lithium that we could do. But mind you, we're also the kind of guys that are going to take a year, two years maybe to really understand what's going on in the sector, you know, what are the technologies, who's who, and so on and so forth. We were born from gold. So gold is easy for us. We we know Mm -hmm. the people, we know what technologies, we know what works, what doesn't work. We know the people that we could bring in for things we've had to do the same travel in other commodities and we still will make a lot of mistakes yeah um but but again the opportunities i think there is more opportunities in copper today uh to come in and decent projects at more reasonable prices there are uh opportunities coming out of some of the majors which will have to make choices mm-hmm. you know uh, there's been a, there's a whole roster of projects who've been stuck for various reasons. So we see that as an opportunity as well. And the biggest opportunity from our standpoint is to continue deploying capital with our existing businesses as we achieve the next milestone. G-mining, for instance, TZ, 
it's going really well the build yeah. those guys are pretty amazing and uh we're going to be at a point where production is going to start and then what next yeah. There is a big program that will be implemented on the property because Eldorado focused on where they found the deposit. There's still 650 kilometers. We're advocating a lot that there should be a real strong exploration program. The company is willing to do it. That's really what worked for us in the past. But then there is a capacity to look at a second project. We have a team. They're amazing builders. They're really able to bring costs down. Uh, so that that is something that we want to capitalize on and maybe look at the next thing. Yeah. Uh, Altus Elemental, there are still opportunities to keep growing and consolidating, potentially. That's something we're looking at. In parallel, we always look at, okay, if somebody is interested to put a big price tag on it, why not? <laughs> we're fairly agnostic somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is we prefer continuing the story. Uh, previously, I had sort of a standing offer on that company, and the guy told me, why don't you sell now? I said, one, we're having fun, and two, we're, we're creating value. And, and three, if I snowball it, you'll pay me more in the future. Right. So why not? Yeah. But please keep that offer hot. That was, that was, such, an, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was such an interesting yeah. time with Elemental. Well, I guess before the merger with Altus, when, you know, there's the... Uh, uh, Somebody's trying to, uh, I can't remember what a royalty company is trying to acquire them, a uh, hostile takeover, but uh, I'm sure those conversations were quite intriguing for such a young company. You know, and so obviously Elemental Altus, we talked to Fred Bell quite frequently here on the podcast, and him and I have had open conversations about, you know, since that merger with Altus, it's really opened up a lot of new directions for value for shareholders. And I don't think they've actually quite understood or capitalized on all those opportunities because just simply because of that merger. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, obviously, you mentioned G mining is going really well. You make it sound so easy, uh, <laughs> but there's are there are there there were there was was news in the last couple of weeks here that it reminds us that mining is a tough business. Uh, you know, Horizonte Minerals that build uh, one could say doesn't appear to be going well because of the capex overrun. Uh, you were going to deploy, I think, $100 million into the ACG deal in Brazil, but that was contingent on them raising another, I think, $300 million. Or, but they they were unable to do that at the time, so you had to terminate your deal. And so, you know, and, and I know you can't go into detail about these, these two separate you know, kind of stories because of your involvement with them on the corporate level but you know you've got to think sit back and kind of see that forest through the trees here and be understand that mining currently in this macro environment is absolutely challenging specifically for the cost of capital so maybe a few things first of all it's not easy um it's it's actually quite challenging to do stuff um for each thing that we do we're going to look at five things for each thing we achieve in a company like Altus, there's been five that have been not working. Uh, G-mining, there's so much on the ball that, yeah, they make it look easy, but they're, they're, you know, they're an amazing team, and even then, they really need to be on the ball to make it happen the way it happens. Yeah. And then, as you can see, Horizonte, we hit a snag with the capital, um, probably running into fairly large overrun. Um, so it's hard work. It's hard work. and. Yes, you're right. There is capex inflation. There is cost of capital inflation in the sense that investors are not necessarily there in quantums. Um, but if you take the case of Horizonte, the good news is you have really 
large committed shareholders. I can't speak for others, but that's the kind of project that is, you know, what, 28 years for stage one, probably run into 40 years if you really were to go for the whole deposit. There's a second project in the company. When you're talking about something for 40 years, you bite the bullet, you support the company, you move on, right? And it's tough because, you know, um, the initial estimate, was it too low, was it not too low, what happened, etc., etc. Contracting in Brazil is particularly complex. The ability to lock prices in Brazil, again, is super complex. People talk about EPCM. EPCM in Brazil is not the same as EPCM everywhere else. It's EPCM where the price is going to vary on probably a thousand factors. Um, the balance between building something totally ironclad and taking risk on commissioning is something the company had always to measure. And when you see how many projects actually kind of failed during commissioning time, I think there was also a desire to really make it as robust as possible, potentially at the expense of overrun. Because again, you're talking about something that you want to be running for the next at least 30 years, right? right? So yes, CapEx inflation is real. Um, the ability to mobilize contractors is real. Uh, it's getting a bit easier than, say, a year and a half ago. But there are certain jurisdictions where there is a backlog of projects, which makes it even more complicated. And why is G-mining so good? It's because they have a self-reported model with an existing team, enough resources to pluck people from here to here, the ability to go and say, well, this thing, the cost that I've been given is higher than the cost that it would take me to do it myself. People who have the equipment, who have the capabilities, who have the engineering, who have the right people to do it internally. So they have this trade-off. And that trade-off is not available to everyone, mm -hmm. right? On the other hand, we have a company that's going to build a project, and then we need to find the next project. In Horizonte, it's almost the opposite problem. We need to build the thing, but then we have a pipeline that goes on for a really long time and a lot of longevity. So one of the things that's complicated is finding the team and the longevity. Right. And sometimes you have to make trade-offs. Yeah. So... For Horizonte, we're working on the situation. We're very supportive of the company and what's going to be doing to solve the situation. And there will be a solution. Yeah. Right? But, but to a certain extent, um, inflation is real. And cost overruns are real. And I guess that, again, when you do things for the first time, you don't necessarily have all the knowledge ingrained into you to know, okay, that's really where it's going to end up here or here or here. Eventually, I think we'll still build this furnace and this plant cheaper than others have built furnaces and plants for similar capacities. Hmm. It's this. Yeah, I, I think. Sure, it's it's just really fascinating because it's in in this environment you're almost you're damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation, right? You can continue to you know push against the grain in this environment and knowing that there's going to be challenges with the cost of capital. And hopefully you have patient capital and good shareholders to understand that and support the company. Or you can sit back and say, we're not going to do anything until we get some clarity that it's a, we have a clear runway here to progress again. And I don't know what the right answer is, to be quite honest with you. Like, so I can get both ways. our position, why do we take board seats? Why do we sign a standstill? We're kind of wedded to the company. Mm -hmm. Right, so we're going to be one of the ones helping with the solution 
in full view of what's going on, right? My boss, he tells me, don't put good money after bad. So we really have to be convinced. And, and that position is a tricky one because I can't vote with my feet. I can't sell my position. Mm-hmm. So I've got to find a solution. Mm-hmm. And that's also the patient capital. It goes both sides. Sometimes you're patient so you can make the upside, but sometimes you're patient, you've got to eat the downside and you've got to, you've got to solve the problems. That again means you can't take too many positions because there's a possibility you're going to have to put more capital. Mm. There's a possibility that you're going to have to work hard on it and deploy a lot of human capital to help. Um, so that's the position we're in. Yeah. You know? And again, the real fundamental question is, is this project worth it? Um, is there value in it if we put more money into it? We're, we're, we're convinced, absolutely convinced that there is. Because again, we're talking about something that has so much runway. Mm. Uh, I've taken up quite a bit of your time, so I better let you go. Maybe one word on ACG. You're absolutely right about what you said. Uh, Effectively, we've been committed to this project. Uh, Others were committed to this project. But as you said, capital didn't show up on the market. We explored a bunch of solutions. And then at some point, there was no solution. So at this stage, we're we, we haven't terminated our commitment. Our commitment terminated by itself when the the framework of our commitment just simply right. disappeared. Yeah. And and we've again been part of trying to find solutions, but at some point there was no solution. Potential solution in the future, though, right? if things turn around. The assets are still there. Right. Um, <laughs> That's there's still somebody who I guess will want to sell it at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work that has been done around that deal with ACG. Personally, I think it needs to be left alone a little bit just for things to sink in and then mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll approach that story once again when, when sure. the timing's right. Uh, Kareem, thanks so much Trevor, for thank your you time. So much. This and was a uh, great conversation. Really, so I, I really enjoy it when somebody's so sharp about the industry um, because it makes a whole difference uh, in terms of the interview. Well, and I wanted to do this in person because there's better dynamic when you do these conversations in person than when you do it on the computer. But so thanks so much for your hospitality and welcoming into your thank office. Thank you very much. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.